Well, welcome again and Shabbat Shalom. Welcome to everyone in Facebook land and YouTube land. This time you got to hear the music. <laughs> uh, tonight, the talk is entitled The Messenger. And you probably already have surmised that this is going to be about John the Baptist, for the most part. How he got to be a Baptist, I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on. That was a little bit funny. Boy. It was just Jordan hasn't been here. <laughs> anyway, so here we are almost at Christmas time, almost at the commemoration of the Nativity of the Lord. And the prophets, starting with Isaiah and then going into Malachi, as we're going to see, said that before Messiah comes, there was going to be a messenger who comes to announce his coming, to make straight the way for him to come. Isaiah 40, Malachi chapter 3. Some of it's going to be up. Can't put every scripture up. But um, in the, even at the end of the book of Malachi, it ta Malachi talks about how it, before the coming of the Lord, Elijah is going to come. That's why somebody said to Jesus, well, I thought Elijah was supposed to come back before the Messiah. And he told them he did come, you just didn't recognize him. Then they realized he was talking about John the Baptist. Not that John the Baptist is Elijah reincarnated, because of course he's not, but he's an Elijah-like character. He's a weird-looking dude. He wears weird clothes. He eats weird stuff. And people went out to hear him talk. And I would have gone out to hear him talk, but then if he asked you, did you want to stay for lunch, you would say, oh, no, that's okay, I already ate. <laughs> when he went into a restaurant, he didn't even need the menu. He just asked, how fresh are your locusts? <clears throat> and bring some extra honey. <laughs> but anyway, oh, I forgot my little clicker. Hold on a second. Where is my little clicker? Hmm. Here it is. <laughs> so we're going to go into Matthew chapter 3. Now, Matthew tells us about John the Baptist. Mark tells us, in fact, Mark's gospel starts with John the Baptist. Um, I don't think John talks about him at all. And Luke, I can't remember if Luke talks about him much. But Matthew and Mark do. So Matthew 3, 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist, in Messianic circles known as Yochanan the Immerser, which I always thought sounded like an underworld character, but, um, oh, come on. That's a tough crowd. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, keep wilderness in mind, in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So Matthew, if you've been watching The Chosen, you know Matthew's kind of a different kind of a character. But the real Matthew, when he writes this account, quotes directly from the prophet Isaiah and puts it right in his text. Because, like everything else, he's connecting 
the Tanakh, the Old Testament, with the New Testament. Because the scripture is one body of information. It's one plan of salvation that unfolds from Genesis 3.15 until the end. There's not a cutoff in the middle that says New Testament, although every Bible has that. It's all one work. It's all one panorama of salvation. And a guy I know in Cincinnati told me once, it's not just a panorama of salvation, it's like a symphony that plays through the whole Bible, which I thought was pretty cool. So, um, you know, and of course, like we always talk about in our prayer groups and home groups and stuff, when in Paul's time where everybody talked about the scriptures and how all scriptures inspired and how you study the scriptures and we're going to check the scriptures, the only scripture they had was the Tanakh, the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't put, been put together yet when Paul was teaching. So when he says all scripture is God-breathed, he's talking about all scripture is God-breathed. So when people say the Old Testament's boring, this is a verse that shows it's not boring. Because here's a, a foretelling of a message that's going to come just before Messiah comes. It says, in those days... Remember, we celebrated the fall feasts, the fall feasts, and we talked about how they're God's appointed times. In Hebrew, they're the Moedim, the appointed times. God does everything by appointed times. So there's a reason why Jesus Yeshua was born then, and not 50 years earlier, 100 years later, 200 years later, 150 years earlier. He's born at that particular time because it was an appointed time. And in those days, at an appointed time, this John the Baptist comes on the scene, a wild-looking guy, camel thing, rough belt around him, crazy hair. And his father, of course, Zechariah, was struck dumb by the angel Gabriel, Luke chapter 1, and didn't talk for the nine months of John's gestation. And then on the eighth day, when John was named, and you know the story, they say, we're going to name him John. And all the people in town were going, why are you going to name him John? Nobody in your family's named John. Why don't you name him Zachariah? And he says, no, his name will be John. And then Zachariah got his voice back. And so we're going to see why that's funny. But in the fullness of time, he shows up. Why? Because the kingdom is at hand. The gospel was about to be proclaimed. The gospel was about to be revealed, not in a matter of years or decades or centuries, but in a matter of days or months. Because this is happening when Jesus was already 30 years old. He's already coming on the scene. So when he says the kingdom is at hand, he's not kidding. John the Baptist, you know, looks like an Old Testament guy. But, of course, he's in the New Testament. He's a prophet because he prophesies the Messiah. We're going to see later he's a Nazarite. For those of you that have taken my Torah class, you say, yay, I know all about Nazarites. If you don't, you're going to find out a little bit about him in a minute. But he's kind of the transition from Old Testament to New Testament. And just like all the other prophets had said, someday Messiah is going to come. At some point, Messiah is going to come. 
John the Baptist, kind of the last of those kind of prophets, says, there he is. Points to him. How cool is that? So people who are standing there going, wow, that's him? So pretty cool. So the gospel was about to be proclaimed. His birth was foretold, of course, by the angel Gabriel. You know, Gabriel's, you know, once in a while comes to earth, you know. He's in the book of Daniel. He comes down to talk to Zechariah. He comes down, of course, to talk to the Virgin Mary. You know, every once in a while, God says, okay, go. Go get the message. You know, angels are messengers. That's why we call them angels, angelos, from the Greek, malach in Hebrew. They're messengers. So nothing's known about his childhood. We know he grew up in the hill, what's called the hill country of Judah. And if you've ever been there, when they say the hill country of Judah, man, they're not kidding. It's like hill country like this. It's even hard to drive there, let alone Mary walking over there to visit Elizabeth while she was, you know, pregnant. I don't know if she went by herself. That would be unlikely. But the hill country of Judah. So he grows up in this little town, which now is called Enkarim. And there's a church built over what's thought to be Zechariah and Elizabeth's house. You know, when the Crusaders showed up and all these other, they just built churches on top of all the sites. I kind of wish they'd have just left them the way they were. I think it would have been cooler. But anyway, that doesn't really matter. But we always joke because right next to where Elizabeth's house was supposed to be, there's this really cute children's playground with swings and slides and stuff. And I go, this is the only thing left from John the Baptist days is when he played here as a kid. And of course, you know, Jesus would come to visit once in a while because they were related. So the two of them would go on the playground. No? <laughs> well, when we get to heaven and find out that I'm right, <laughs> And John the Baptist probably was, you know, a little scared to go down the big slide. And Jesus would say, come on, don't be such a wimp. Just go down. <clears throat> so we don't know anything about his childhood. He comes out of obscurity. We don't know anything about him. His birth is proclaimed. We don't know. He's impacted by Yeshua, Jesus, before he's born. In the book of Luke, right? Got Luke's gospel at Elizabeth's house. When Mary walks into the house, Zechariah just waves at her because he can't talk. But she has Jesus in her womb. And I think it's, you know, a couple, three months along. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And Elizabeth says, as soon as Mary came in and said, hello, John the Baptist leaped for joy in her womb. He suddenly thought he was at a charismatic prayer group, and he's jumping around inside, waving his arms, because Jesus came into the room. So he's impacted by Messiah even before he's born. And then we don't know anything. You know, at one point, it sounds like he doesn't recognize who Jesus is. At another point, he says, are you the one, or are we supposed to look for someone else? So we don't know how all that works out, but... He's impacted before he's born. And this quote comes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. A messenger crying out. 
the words that are used for John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness, the Greek means he has a shrill, loud, penetrating voice. In other words, if you were within a couple hundred yards of him, you heard him. Shrill, penetrating, loud. Because he has to cry out that the kingdom is coming. He's not supposed to sit and say, well, you know, maybe you guys ought to, I got something to tell you guys, but I don't want you to get upset, you know, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but there's the Messiah over there and the kingdom's coming. No, shrill, loud, penetrating voice. Ironic, since his father couldn't talk, but God does have a sense of humor. But it's great. So he's crying out. He's a herald. And there hadn't been a prophet for 400 years. The Old Testament ends with the last prophet who is Malachi. Now, Paul Wilbur always tells a joke that he was the only Italian prophet because his name was Malachi. But Malachi was, don't blame me, that's his joke. But uh, well, you got to meet him, so you know he's a jokester. But um, Malachi, the last prophet, 400 years before Yeshua is born. Then comes what's called the silent period. There's no prophets. And then all of a sudden, out of this 400 years of silence, comes this shrill, loud voice saying the kingdom is at hand. Pretty neat. And Malachi writes, he's a minor prophet, you know, he's in the scroll of the 12. So, and it's, and he, it's, it's a pretty short book. It's nothing like trying to read Isaiah or Jeremiah. It's a pretty short book. So Malachi 3.1, behold, I send my messenger. Now, this is being written 400 years before John the Baptist, more or less. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, capital M. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. How do we know this for sure? Because the Lord of hosts says it. Adonai Elohim Tzavaot. The Lord God of hosts says this. You know, when Isaiah writes, you know, now in your churches during this Advent time, you're probably hearing a lot of readings from Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 7, it talks about a virgin being with child. And in chapter 9, it talks about how the light's going to shine, you know, the light's going to come in. And, and it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the plan of the Lord of hosts. It isn't a plan that some human being made, right? It's not a plan the high priest made. It's not a plan some committee made. It's God's plan. And at this time, this is what's going to happen. A messenger is going to come to prepare the way. And he's going to, the Messiah you're looking for, the Lord you're looking for is suddenly going to come to the temple. Is it the temple? It's his temple. And then 40-day-old little Jesus shows up at the temple to be presented. He suddenly came to the temple. Remember, Simeon knew 
the Holy Spirit had told him he wouldn't die before he saw the Messiah. So that particular day, you know, lots of babies went to the temple to get presented. 40 days if you're a boy, 66 days if you're a girl. For those of you that haven't taken the Torah class yet. But um, Simeon that day happened to be at a coffee shop at the base of the Temple Mount. And the Holy Spirit gave him a word of knowledge and said, Mary, Joseph, and the baby are going to be in the temple in five minutes. So he ran up the hill. This is tough. Okay, no more jokes. So he suddenly comes to the temple, and he's the messenger of the covenant, because now there's going to be a new covenant. He's not the messenger of the old covenant. He's the messenger of the covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31 covenant. So this happens in the wilderness of Judah. And man, if you drive through there, you can't believe it. You can't believe it, how desolate it is. It's desert land. It's once in a while you see a couple of little buildings. Once in a while you see a herd of goats go by with a shepherd. There are still shepherds working there. I don't know what those goats and sheep eat, because all it is is desert land. But there, even in those days, it was even less populated. And interestingly, the first covenant also starts in the wilderness, in the Sinai, right? In the wilderness of Sinai, the, the first covenant, the older covenant, the covenant of Moses starts. And the new covenant begins in a wilderness. Same kind of desert land, same kind of poorly populated place, shepherds around, sheep and goats. And this is where the two covenants start. It doesn't start in the temple. John the Baptist doesn't go to the temple to preach. They wouldn't have let him preach. They would have taken one look at him and said, dude, you smell, you look weird, get out of here. Even though he was technically a Levite, because his father was a priest, so he had to be a Levite. Yes, no. So he preaches to these common people, not in Jerusalem, and he talks about the anticipation of the Messiah. And people knew, people knew more scripture then than our pathetic population of people who can't put three verses of any book together. They knew that the Messiah was going to come after this really long wait. Why? Because the scepter had departed from Judah, from Genesis 49. Israel was not in charge of its government anymore. That's one of the conditions for Messiah to come. So they anticipated, maybe this guy's the Messiah. This weird-looking dude. Maybe he's the Messiah. Remember, they went and asked him, are you the Christ? He says, no. Uh, who are you then? Are you one of the prophets? He says, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. Jesus said, "Who? what did you go out there to see? A reed blowing in the wind? No. You know, we have people in our world, they're just blowing in the wind. You know, like Paul writes to Timothy, you know, whatever doctrine comes along, People just blow in the wind with it. You know, you say, well, but it says in the word here, oh, no, that's okay. This guy's got some great ideas, and this guy's got some, you know, they just blow in the wind. John the Baptist didn't blow in the wind. So after this long wait, people who knew the prophecies 
knew Messiah was almost here. And the message was that repentance was the way into the kingdom. Repent. That's the way into the kingdom. Jesus repeats it later. Repent. Peter repeats it Pentecost morning. Repent and be baptized. What do we have in the church today who talks about repentance? Hardly anybody. Repentance is the way in. I can't remember who it was, but somebody got this great thing on Facebook. Somebody said, you know, the 21st century church wants Christianity without Christ, church without the Holy Spirit, forgiveness without repentance, just, hey, everything's cool. We got a great music team. We got dry ice and stuff. We got flashing lights. Who cares about us people with migraines? You see all those flashing lights. He says you have to repent to come into the kingdom. You have to have metanoia. This is different than law. This isn't take the goat to the temple, take the lamb to the temple. This is falling on your knees and repenting of what you've done when you realize who the Messiah is and what the kingdom is. Amen? And so repentance is the way in. It's a metanoia, a change of mind, a change of direction. You don't walk the same direction you used to walk. You know, you're not me 40 years ago with Carol Meredith saying, gee, Carol, if you're listening, Carol, hi. You know, you're, you seem to, you're a really nice person, but boy, you say a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> Because she was a believer, she was charismatic, she was in charismatic renewal, she was always praying for everybody. I thought, man, this is weird. This is weird. But she had the message of metanoia. I didn't have the message of metanoia. I heard the message, but, you know, who cares about that? I got stuff to do. Right? Got to go to work, got to take care of the kids. Gotta... So, it's you realize that you're a sinner and you realize where you stand and you realize what you are and you come humble to the cross, right? Like we always talked about, you don't come to the cross and say, I'm here. You know, I could have been a lot of other places today. I came here. So I hope you're happy. I'm here. Just want to make sure you know I'm here because you know, hey, I'm an important guy. I got stuff to do, but here I am. That's not metanoia. Metanoia is you come humble and you fall down on your face here. And you say, Lord, I'm a mess. I can't even believe this. My life's been a mess. I didn't even know it was a mess. I thought everything was cool. I thought everything was nice. But I'm a disaster. I'm standing here condemned. I don't want to be condemned anymore. That's metanoia. And I, I mean, you guys wouldn't be here if you hadn't had that experience. <laughs> so repentance was the way in. The Pharisees didn't get this. The Pharisees came and said, dude, what are you, what are you, who are you? What are you doing? Who do you think you are? What are you talking about? You know, they had on all the cool stuff. And he looked like a wild man. You know, they're all nice and clean, and they got all these beautiful robes and vestments on. And they see this guy yelling and screaming about repentance. And they say, hey, uh, we're the holy guys. 
you're a mess. We're the holy guys. Shut up. You know, like Palm Sunday morning. Rabbi, make them stop. We can't have people screaming about son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You better make them stop. So the Pharisees didn't get this. They followed the law. We don't need to repent. We follow the law. We're holy. Those people over there, they're a mess. They need to repent. Oh, yeah, we don't need to repent. We're in charge. We're in charge. Despite what this weird-looking dude says, we're in charge. But here, we have a guy saying, you repent because the kingdom is at hand. You have to make a straight path to him. You can't put obstacles between him, you and him. You make a straight path to repentance. You make a straight path to the cross. Like the bronze serpent in the wilderness. You went to look at the serpent so you're, you wouldn't die from the bite. If you said, oh man, that Moses, I think he's been out in the sun too long. I'm not going to do that. Then you died. I've told you, I don't know how many, you know, people that I literally tried to witness to on their deathbed, literally, within minutes of dying, who would say, eh, I don't believe any of that crap. And then they died. It used to drive me crazy. I'd walk out of there going, ah, they rejected the gospel at the last moment of their life. <clears throat> so, who can understand grace? But it comes from having a straight path to him. And he's crying out, startling, loud voice to wake up. Remember we talked about the shofar waking people up. Arise, O sleeper. Wake up, O sleeper. Here his voice is drawing attention above all the distractions. He says, repent, because the kingdom is here. You know, for those of you, those of us that are in vineyard churches a lot, you know, John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, would say the kingdom is here, but it's not here. It's here, but it's not completely here. We don't see the fullness of the kingdom, but we're in the kingdom if we've repented and we're following Jesus. Yes? Yes. So it's above all the distractions. Like when you hear the shofar blast, it's above every distraction. Right? Even if you're laying on the couch half asleep watching some stupid movie, if somebody outside blows a shofar, it's going to wake you up. John the Baptist's voice, wake you up. We need this now. The whole culture's in a deep sleep. Most of the churches are sleeping in one level of sleep or another. Oh, well, everybody's nice. We're all good. What can we do? It doesn't matter what you do. Everything's fine. There's no loud, shrill voice. And if you do have a loud, shrill voice, somebody will punish you. So it's people in darkness. You know, people in darkness saw a great light. In Isaiah, talk, we talked about the other night, talk about people in Zebulon and in Naphtali, the land of gloom. The Galilee of the Gentiles, our light's going to shine. Well, the land of Zebulon is where Nazareth is. The land of Naphtali is where Capernaum is. So Jesus lived in both of those places. 
So these people in the gloom saw this great light. The people in our world are living in a gloom. They need to see the great light. And if we say, oh, I don't know, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want anybody to think I'm crazy. Now, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Yum. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John preaching a baptism of repentance. This is not quite Christian baptism, and it's not, it's more than mikvah of the Torah. Okay, we, we learned a lot about mikvah, but he's, you know, he's not clothed like one of these Pharisees. He's a Nazarite. A Nazarite comes from Numbers chapter 6. You can read that for your homework. They're kind of like men who became what we would call monks. They were holy guys. They would wear simple clothes. They would go out into the wilderness. They would read scripture. They would pray. They would preach. They couldn't eat anything that came from a grape, anything that might be fermented, and a razor would never touch their hair or their beard. And that was a sign that they'd given their whole life to the Lord. They would never shave. They would never cut their hair, not even like trim anything. So John the Baptist was one of these guys. They were consecrated to the Lord. They didn't do this on weekends or in their spare time. You know, they weren't a computer engineer during the day and then a Nazarite at night. These were guys who lived in the wilderness and prayed. <clears throat> and this was a baptism of repentance. You know, in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, in the Torah, there's the mikvah. You have to go into the water. It has to be moving water. There's, we're not going to go into all that. You can Google it, look it up, read about it, look for some of my teachings about mikvah on YouTube or whatever. But you had to be in the water as a way of cleansing yourself. And there are many conditions where you had to go into the mikvah. One of them was when you had a change in your life status. So in other words, Jesus himself, because he followed the law, because if he didn't follow the law, he can't be the Messiah, because then he would be in rebellion. Was going from being a carpenter to doing ministry. So he showed up in the Jordan to be, quote, baptized. Did he need to be baptized? No. John says, well, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus says, you have to do this to fulfill righteousness, because his life status was going to change. If you're going from one part of life to another. You have to go through the mikvah. A woman has to go to the mikvah every month if she's menstruating. Period's over in the mikvah every month because it's a different phase of life now. You have a sore on your arm that's dripping pus. You have to go in the mikvah when it's healed. You come in contact with a dead body to go in the mikvah. All these things. It's, it's a cleansing it's a change in your life status. Now, what he does is that it's a baptism of repentance because it's bringing something new. It's the kind of the fulfillment of mikvah. When you repent, you enter a new type of life. This is why from the earliest days of the church, there's been baptism. Because it's taken right from there. 
you have a different life now. And so it's a, a new phase of life. You're in a new covenant that you weren't in before. The kingdom is breaking in because you get grace to, to forgive you of your sins only because he shed blood, not because you're so awesome and not because you're so smart and not because you're rich or you're poor or you're whatever, you wear the right clothes, you look not, whatever it is, you're forgiven because of what happened on the cross and you get grace. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, you can go read that for your homework. Not our signature verse here, but just before this. It's by faith we have been saved and not by works. By grace we have been saved and not by works. It's through faith and not by works so that no man can boast. If you earned your salvation, you could brag about it, right? You could tell people how awesome you are if you earned your salvation, but you don't. So the kingdom breaks in because now instead of law and punishment, there's grace and forgiveness. That's why it's good news, like you were talking about the other night. That's why it's good news. Being condemned every minute by the law, that's not good news. This is good news. Yes, yes. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, ooh, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Brood of vipers. How many people know that when you got people who are real religious and they really are the holy guys and you call them a brood of vipers, you don't win their favor. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> you got a bleak future ahead in these days because these guys can have you arrested. <clears throat> who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? See, when you repent, there should be fruit that's born. We can't put up every scripture, right? You don't say, oh, yeah, I got saved when I was 12, and now I'm 85, and I've never done anything, but hey, I'm in. No, you're supposed to be bearing fruit. And John points out the tree that doesn't bear fruit is going to have the axe laid to the root of it, and it's going to be thrown in the fire. Jesus Yeshua himself says if a vine doesn't bear fruit, it's cut off, it's thrown in the fire. So he's not afraid to confront the leaders. These guys were used to being honored and called all kinds of titles. Now he calls them a brood of vipers, poisonous snakes. Why are they poisonous? Jesus tells them why in Matthew 23. Did they know Matthew 23? Not only do you not get into the kingdom, you prevent others from getting in. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Not only are you not getting in, you've prevented others from getting in. Ooh, that would be the worst. Brood of vipers. And they had a defense, of course. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Hey, you can't talk to us like that. We're Abraham's children. <clears throat> We're not some unclean Gentile. Well, he says, guess what? Being related to Abraham doesn't save you 
from the judgment that's coming. Your biology doesn't save you. Your blood type doesn't save you. The genes you got from your ancestors don't save you. You have to repent and bear fruit. <clears throat> Who do you think you're talking to here? But the key is repentance, metanoia, is the way into the kingdom. And Jesus is going to emphasize this. And I, I always like the story, and I think we did it here a couple of years, a few years ago. We should do it again about the um, the Pharisee and the some translations call him a publican, you know, common guy. And they're both in the temple, and the Pharisees in the front of the temple saying, "Oh Lord, thank you for not making me like that poor schmuck over there." Uh, thanks for making me holy, and I keep all the rules, and I tithe, and I say my prayers at the right time, and I say just the right number of words, and I stand in the right place. And the other guy's beating his chest saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that guy who doesn't even look up goes home justified. The Pharisee doesn't. So John the Baptist brings this out. And says, the kingdom's at hand. This is the way into the kingdom. And then in a very short time after this, he's going to say, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you don't know the Old Testament, if you don't understand Torah, you don't have any idea what that means. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because he's the perfect sacrifice. And it's only by blood that sin can be forgiven. And like the writer to the Hebrew says, the, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away your sins. It foreshadows what's going to happen here. And so we're going to see, we're going to commemorate next week, and we're going to have a Christmas party. So anybody who's watching and wants to come, we're at 709 Brook Park Road. <laughs> but we're not going to be talking about Santa or elves or nonsense. We're going to be talking about the birth of the Messiah, and then we're going to eat. <laughs> hey, sometimes I've been known to fast for an hour and a half. But, <laughs> but keep in mind, as we go into this time approaching what we call Christmas, the nativity of the Lord, whatever you like to call it, that the eternal word that was from forever comes into space and time comes into our space and time in flesh as a newborn baby so that this can happen, so that the cross can happen, so that we can have grace and mercy, be forgiven, and come into the kingdom. Woo! So when your friends are talking about Santa and the elves and the reindeer and the thing and the happy holidays and the don't get sucked into all that. We really hear it.